Welcome to the podcast edition of Dream Talk Radio. I'm your host, Anne Hill, and every week I explore topics related to dreams, sleep, health, culture, and consciousness. Dream Talk Radio airs every Thursday from 9 to 10 a.m. Pacific Time on KOWS 107.3 FM in Occidental, California. And you can catch the live stream at www.kows.fm. To find out more about Dream Talk Radio, visit my website at anhill.org. That's A-N-N-E-H-I-L-L dot org. Meanwhile, I hope you enjoy this edition of Dream Talk Radio. This is Dream Talk Radio. I'm your host, Anne Hill, every Thursday from 9 to 10. And I have a really interesting show today for you. In the studio with me is Ryan Hurd, who is an expert on sleep paralysis. And he's got a website uh, with a bunch of great information on all sorts of different topics around dreams at dreamstudies.org. Ryan, welcome to Dream Talk Radio. Thanks, Anne. It's so good to be here. I'm glad you could make it. He, Ryan has, has driven up here from San Geronimo, so what a nice drive. up the. You drove up the coast? Yep. Like, yeah, yeah, through the beautiful uh, sunny day, saw the sheep, saw uh, the cows. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, I'll tell you, all the best places to go on the way back, you can get the best smoked salmon ever. Oh, that sounds pretty good. Yeah, but of course it's a secret, so I'm not going to reveal it on the radio. But uh, so... So I really wanted to talk to you about your book. Sleep paralysis is a subject that a lot of people talk about. No, nobody has much information, and you've done an incredible amount of research in a lot of diff, uh, sort of tangential areas that all seems that comes back together to to support uh, different ways and really helpful ways of looking at sleep paralysis. So maybe for listeners who aren't exactly sure what we are talking about, you could just do a thumbnail sketch. What is sleep paralysis? Sure. Sleep paralysis is one of these interesting uh, parasomas or sleep disturbances that's been around and people have been talking about it for thousands of years. But interestingly, our culture seems to have forgotten about it. So there's not really a term that's that's really used for it and it really encompasses two different kinds of experiences which one is an actual paralysis itself and so here's basically how it maybe happens for me is I'll wake up out of sleep and I'll be thinking clearly maybe about my day or what's happening and I try to try to move and I realize I can't move I can't move my muscles at all I'm I'm actually literally paralyzed and then what happens is this sudden kind of fear of what's going on. Mm-hmm. And then often people experience pressure on their chest or on their throat that happens with this paralysis, which kind of makes the fear spiral even more. Mm-hmm. And then it gets really interesting because also what happens is people literally project dreams into this mm-hmm. paralysis state because you're not really awake. You feel aware. You're right. actually lucidly conscious, but you're not in an awake state. You're in a hybrid, kind of a stage one or uh-huh. stage two sleep. Uh-huh. But sometimes dre- dreaming or REM sleep, basically, is projecting into the space. So, so mm. nightmares happen while you're paralyzed. That is so fascinating to think that you could be in a stage one or stage two sleep and then suddenly you just have this incursion of REM sleep and you the dreaming process begins. Right. And, and in fact, it wasn't until the, I think the early 90s that researchers realized in the lab that this state happens in 
REM intrusion. Uh, mm-hmm. There was lots of talk. Well, for actually, for many years, people thought it was just folklore. People would mm-hmm. have these stories about being held down while they were sleeping. And that's often how it's experienced. Mm-hmm. You know, if you don't know what's happening, it feels like something or someone is holding you down. And then if you happen to have some of these hallucinations, which are known as hypnagogic hallucinations, which hypnagogic just means coming into sleep. Mm-hmm. Um, and the other term is hypnopompic, which is right. coming out of sleep. Right. Um, in, in any case, they're real, you know, actual hallucinations of creatures or spiders or, uh, you know, in, in many cases, this unknown figure or presence of a figure in the room who maybe isn't, you know, looking after your best interests. Right, right. That's so interesting. It makes me wonder whether there's kind of a continuum between nightmares and sleep paralysis. I mean, do you find that, it, I mean, is it something that happens as we're drifting off to sleep or can it happen at, at different times during the night? For most people, it seems to happen as they're going to sleep. Mm-hmm. Um, and yet there are cases that when it comes out of sleep as well. So mm-hmm. it can happen in the middle of the night as, as well. Uh, and interestingly, a lot of people experience it when they take afternoon naps. Uh-huh. Um, and in fact, if you sleep on your back, you're more likely for some reason to experience it. Well, I don't really know what the science is behind that at all. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, huh. So it, this is different than night terrors. Very different. Okay. Yeah. yeah. A, a night terror, um, they're confused all the yeah. time. A night terror happens in stage three or four sleep uh-huh. and usually happens in the first part of the night as well. So that's maybe some confusion uh-huh. there. Yes, exactly. The and first it's more part. common with children. Usually children outgrow it, but mm-hmm. some adults do have it as well. Mm-hmm. And But that is a kind of an awareness during stage three or four sleep. And then when you come out of it, those titanic feelings, yeah. uh, nightmarish. Often it feels like chaos to people uh-huh. or just some g- gigantic sense of oppression or a void mm-hmm. or, or something terrible that can't be named. Those feelings can linger for up to five to maybe 15 minutes. Yeah. You know, that's when the kids go running into their parents' bedroom right. and, and they can't explain to, you know, what's happened, but yeah. they're still actually kind of experiencing it a little bit. And often they don't even remember what happened the next day. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. you know, if you're a parent and you have a child that has this experience, just comfort them and, you know, get them back to sleep, read them a story. Right. And don't even bother mentioning it in the morning unless they mention it. <laughs> you know, the people that I have uh, spoken with that have uh, that have sleep paralysis, they'll come into a dream workshop or do a, a sort of a one-on-one situation, they'll say, and they'll present what happens as totally unlike any other dream state and some of them will be really freaked out like I've had a visitation I'm being followed I'm you know there's 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 sort of externalization of what's happening and so I was really interested to to read how how you discern between the states right there's the there's the uh, physical thing that's going on but then there's this thing where we're in a kind of a fear cycle and there's this really interesting phenomenon of being able to project our emotions onto the dream canvas, but not realizing somehow that that's what we're doing. But then we see that projection and we go, oh, my God, there's evil monsters in my room or something. Right. It's it's so fascinating. Yeah. And I have to say that we really don't know what's going on yeah. still. I mean, I think that sleep paralysis research is still in its very beginnings. Mm-hmm. We've, you know... 
I think the work of David Hufford, who is a medical anthropologist, he is the first one that really seriously took some of this folklore of sleep paralysis stories from uh, Newfoundland up in mm-hmm. Canada in a small fishing village. People were experiencing something that they basically was ghost oppression. And he took their stories at face value rather than Mm -hmm. sort of writing them off as uh, folklore or some other kind of dream. And then he began looking around the world at other cultures that have similar stories. And they're everywhere. Mm. There's so many cultures that have stories about, it's often called supernatural assault, Uh uh, ghost oppression. Um, Every culture has its own sort of destination. So he was saying, hey, this is actually, this could be a medical phenomenon. Yeah. Because the traits really do, it, it's robust in terms of its phenomenology. It's yeah. similar enough that maybe there's something biological going on. Hmm. That said, I don't think it's just projection of fear hmm. that is making these monsters happen. I think that there's other things at work, and I think some of that's kind of still mysterious. Very mysterious, yeah. Well, so let's let's... Uh, keep that bookmarked because I think uh, it's really important to go through the um, the stuff that you talk about first, the sleep hygiene things, ways that we can uh, reduce the likelihood of those kind of incidents. So maybe you could just kind of go over what people can do if this if they're plagued by this kind of event. Sure. Yeah. The, you know, the, the last, I guess, maybe 15 years of scientific research into yeah. sleep paralysis has shown that it's for one thing, it's very common with people who have other sleep disorders. Uh-huh. So narcolepsy, for instance, over 60% of narcoleptics experience sleep paralysis. Wow. Um, also sleep apnea, uh-huh. um, which can be very dangerous yes. and can lead to um, heart troubles and even like, you know, an early death. Uh, so if you already have sleep disturbances, you're more likely to experience sleep paralysis, which is in itself um, harmless, mm-hmm. so they say. Um However, you know, basically normal, healthy people can, you know, healthy, have he- people who have healthy sleep mm-hmm. patterns experience it too. And it yeah. seems to be, like you said, sleep hygiene. So yeah. it's related to um, how well do you sleep? How is your sleep health? Yeah. Um, insomnia. Um, if you don't get enough sleep, if you get broken up sleep, if you're uh, a shift worker mm-hmm. or a nurse or, you know, nursing um, a baby and you're right. not getting uh, that full, say, four hour chunk yeah. and then another four hour chunk of sleep at a time, then sleep paralysis really kicks in. Mm-hmm. Um, college kids experience it a lot because um, of all the alcohol. <laughs> right. Not only that, but all the studying. Yes. And it's just a continuously, you know, the sleep cycle is just always disturbed um, by all sorts of things. And then they take a nap in the afternoon and boom. Boom. And kids, stay off that Adderall. It's not good for you. I know you're pulling an all-nighter, but don't do it. <laughs> <laughs> There's a lot of medications that seems to yeah. relate to sleep paralysis. Yeah. Um, yeah. Apparently, ADHD medication can bring it on as oh, well, um, which is commonly prescribed. Um, so, you know, in, in that case, maybe just changing when a person takes their ADHD medication uh-huh. can, you know, lessen having right. that. Well, which is probably the case for many drugs, both prescription and non-prescription. I mean, alcohol, they say if you if you just last drink around six or seven rather than nine or ten will make all the difference in terms of disrupting your sleep cycle. Yeah, with alcohol and to some extent some, some of the other um, drugs, including cannabis, actually, yeah. 
what they do is they suppress REM sleep for the mm-hmm. first part of, of the night. And so what happens is then the second part of the night, REM or dreaming sleep is increased. And when that happens, you're more likely to have sleep paralysis right. and also regular nightmares and just sort of disturbing and sometimes vivid and lucid dreams as well. Mm-hmm. It's just sort of like dreams, you know, plus. Right. <laughs> Uh, you are listening to Dream Talk Radio here on Cows. I have Ryan Hurd in the studio who has written a great book. It's an ebook on sleep paralysis. And uh, you can find out more about Ryan's work and you can also buy a copy of his book at dreamstudies.org. So we've been, we've been talking about uh, sleep hygiene and all the ways that we can uh, affect the physiology of sleep paralysis. But then there's this uh, this stuff that we just bookmarked a few minutes ago. Like, what is happening? What is uh, when you feel like there's a being on your chest compressing it? There, so there's a lot of different ways you can approach mm-hmm. this subject. You can approach it from a cultural or an anthropological perspective, yeah. or you can sort of say, well, this is what you know the scientific you know paradigm is put together. Right. And I have to say that the anthropology is much stronger than the science at this point. And well, it's a more interesting story. Too. It, it, it is. <laughs> it is. But I mean, in brief, this is this is what science is saying yeah. um, in, in terms of you know, the projection of an entity or a creature. And by the way, this is related to alien abduction stories. Uh Not all of them, but many alien abduction stories begin with the person lying in bed Mm -hmm. who feels like they're being held down, oppressed by some sort of force field. And then an entity, often, you know, the gray, the alien gray, comes and stands over the bed and then whisks them away on, you know, to the ship. Mm -hmm. And and then often they are abused. Right. And this all happens in a very lucid state. It's not, it does not feel like a dream. Right. And I think we should listen to those accounts when Mm -hmm. people say, no, I know what dreams are like. And I was aware and conscious and could not affect change. Right. And so that speaks, I think, to sort of Mm. this interesting lucid you know, you know hallucination yes um or you know uh, visionary capability if you right. want to maybe put, right. use a, a term that's not quite so materialistic untrained visionary capability and if you're un, if exactly yeah. and if you're not sure if you've never had say a lucid dream before or another kind of you know waking vision state like that it's really alarming yeah um, you know, in our culture, we're, this is not a dreaming culture, you know, right. in the United States uh, and even the West in general. Mm-hmm. And so we're either asleep or we're awake. And then we have those wacky dreams. Right. Um, and there's really not any sort of a sophisticated approach to mm-hmm. how actually consciousness can change and morph mm-hmm. throughout these various states and how right. there's so many other variations. That's right. Sleep paralysis is just one that's always been here. Yeah. Um, and people are embarrassed to talk about it. I mean, you know, to be cursed, mm-hmm. you know, by a demon in right. the 21st century is to be cursed twice over. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Who wants to talk about that? This yeah. is the age of information. Well, especially when most people's one experience of dream uh, theory is Freud. So, you know, right away you get into the most embarrassing and shameful interpretations of what you've just gone through. Right. It's just not helpful. Freud did not touch this stuff. Not with a 10 foot cigar. Exactly. (laughs) Although I'm sure he would, you know, bring that in somehow. There's. So, so one more thing about the yes. science. So, yeah. so there is one uh, researcher. Uh, his name is uh, Chain Chaney, I think. Okay. 
uh, not Dick Cheney. Yeah, good. Uh, and <laughs> I don't want to know what he thinks about anything. <laughs> and and he he's um, popularized uh, another researcher's whose name I forget mm-hmm. theory about that when we're in sleep paralysis, what's happening is is that something called the threat stimulation is being right threat yeah, it's it's a threat threat stimulation. vigilance system that's it it's a vigilance system. yeah yeah and so essentially we're asleep yet we're aware of our surroundings mm-hmm. we're in this REM state we're aware of our surroundings and we're projecting sort of dreamlike things around us well this part of us that says hey there's there's a threat around it's mm-hmm. getting activated mm-hmm. um you know, uses the kind of thing that, if, you know, in the center or, say, the, the corner of our vision, we see something like a cat. And yeah. we're like, oh, what is that? We take a quick look. Oh, it's, it's mm-hmm. just a cat. It's no problem. Well, that threat is never resolved because the dreaming is, is continuously projecting, um, you know, self-like entities into mm-hmm. the room. And so it's, just so it's basically the fear spirals into this. Yeah. Um, in <coughs> fact... Fear can become so intense during sleep paralysis, they call it, it can be death anxiety. Mm, mm-hmm. And um, we see this a lot with Cambodian um, uh-huh. people who like have... Refugees. And- refugees, in, indeed, especially if they're suffering from PTSD, uh-huh. they have a huge uh, sleep paralysis uh, capability. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Because their system, I mean, according to this theory, their system is just on high alert. There's no, you know, anything, any perceived threat... St- st- is that that's what, the scientific yeah, that's the, the science. sort of scientific uh, yeah. you know yeah. and I think it's a little weak to be honest uh, it doesn't really uh, express for instance why is it a, always a human entity or most likely a human mm-hmm. entity that's that's standing at the threshold of the door looking into the room right. why does why does this individual often have a hood on and you can't see mm. their face and this is you know sort of a western perspective but right. it happens in other cultures too where often it is you know sort of this tall almost you know shadowy figure right. where the face cannot be seen they come they stand over the bed and then in some of the you know the more graphic um experiences mm-hmm. people are touched mm-hmm. by this entity and they can actually be sexually molested mm-hmm. and, and it's possible that that could be related to some early trauma that they've had uh-huh. in their personal life right. as well right you talk about the stranger uh, as a sort of a not really an archetype but as a as a all-encompassing term to that that covers this sort of human or humanoid figure that's sort of shadowy but manifests in different ways in different cultures. Right. Yeah. The the, the stranger mm-hmm. manifests often as first a dark silhouette, or or mists that come into yeah. the room, um, and and then it seems that after that it's a cultural variation of what mm-hmm. this figure looks like. Mm-hmm. But it's played into, I you know folklore with with witchcraft with demons. Right. It's it's with ghosts with ancestors. But there's also a a positive dimension to it, which is that people have actually experienced angel visitations hmm. in this state of mind. Hmm. They've actually had positive ancestral visitations where someone comes to them and imparts them some piece of information mm-hmm. or some piece of knowledge that they may have not have known. Right. So there's kind of an uncanny, almost sigh Mm-hmm. perspective that really isn't understood. Psy as in P-S-Y. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. yeah. As in psychic or paranormal. Right. And mm-hmm. and in fact, I mean, you know, sleep paralysis is most popular with the paranormal crowd mm-hmm. who are convinced that basically this show is that demons are real and uh. that 
you know, and that ghosts are real. Right. Um, and not to say that they're not, but I think it's easier to start with at least the idea that this experience is psychologically real. Right. Um, and to right. give it and, and to give it respect. So uh, we're we're talking about sleep paralysis here on Dream Talk Radio. In the studio with me is Ryan Hurd, and he's written a book, um, which I don't have the title of, even though it's right here in front of me, because the title got uh, "Sleep Paralysis: A Dreamer's Guide." All right, got it. Um, so uh, on that point of uh, they're real, but maybe there's some di- kind of different real. How do you, and it's a psychological process, you're saying there's a part of it at least that is psychological or even psi, you know, paranormal. How do you, in the state of being frozen, being paralyzed in sleep, get to that place of working with whatever is going on at a sort of a heightened state of awareness? Right, and and that's really the, that's the trick. The trick. <laughs> that is the sixty-four thousand dollar question. It is, it is, because what we're in an existential state of shock when right. these things happen, and so the question is, how can I ground myself? Right. How can I anchor myself when I'm experiencing extraordinary fear? Mm-hmm. How can I trust in the unknown? Right. These are sort right. of the big, you know, metaphysical questions, really. And and it inevitably has to come back to some sort of spiritual or faith-based perspective. Mm-hmm. Even if your faith is in the power of logic, right. um, you have to put your anchor somewhere. Right. Um, you know, even from a Buddhist perspective, if that's sure. compassion. Highly effective, mm-hmm. highly effective. Mm-hmm. So I, you know, I teach people to to basically to work through thinking about some of these ideas of where do they put their anchor, mm-hmm. where do they find their their faith um, in times of stress, yeah. um, even if it's not really what you might rationally think it's going to be. Right. I, I know for for me personally, I was raised Unitarian Universalist. Uh-huh. Um, which, which, and I have a Catholic mother, uh-huh. very interesting, uh, kind of mixed there, yeah. but in the Unitarian Universalist faith, we were sort of given this great, uh, education in the world religions, mm-hmm. but not so much, um, I wasn't given a choice of what to believe. I, mm-hmm. I had to make the choice myself right. in other words, right. um, which I didn't as a youth. Uh-huh. And so things were very confusing for right. me. There's so many, too many choices. Right. So when I had some of my early sleep paralysis experiences as a 14-year-old and a 15-year-old, I inevitably went back to sort of this Catholic sense of Mm -hmm. good versus evil, even though rationally I was totally beyond that, too cool for that. Right. (laughs) Oh, but fear is an amazing, I mean, it just strips away all of the coolness, doesn't it? Fear breaks it down. (laughs) And it's it's good to know. I mean, and so, you know, now it's like I understand, okay, so... I have to work with this, you mm-hmm. know, internalized sense of good and evil. Right. And basically, and, you know, so it's sort of dualistic and maybe yeah. that's not so cool. Uh, but that's actually a very big part of, of how I see the world. Mm-hmm. And so I think everybody basically can do this kind of thing. And in fact, I have a little worksheet in the sleep paralysis ebook where, where one can sort of go through some questions and figure out, yeah. okay, how was I raised? Mm-hmm. How and what are what are the religious traditions that I you know adhere to now? Yeah, um, and and really kind of take a look at those because these you know deep elements are already going to work. Yeah, but they're working against us in the sleep paralysis nightmare. So it's kind of good to have it have the positive. That's right. Yeah. So even if you are a secular humanist, but you find great 
peace and joy <clears throat> in nature or looking at the night sky. What, what I'm hearing you say is that anything that, that anchors you to a sense of wonder or a sense of maybe benevolence, general benevolence in the universe, is, it can be that anchor. Exactly. And one can, you know, it's, you can say, hey, you can have an affirmation. Mm-hmm. I'm in sleep paralysis right now. This is a normal uh-huh. biological state. <laughs> I'm experiencing fear. Okay, and then you can do some controlled breathing. Yes, and that actually controlled breathing is a really good way to, um, you know, a, a biological way mm-hmm. to you know, affect change. Uh-huh. So, uh huh. So, so I mean, that seems to be the key. Instead of getting fearful, thinking I'm experiencing fear. Try to have a little bit of uh, right. yeah objectivity about right. it. Right. Right. And that's that's a true lucidity. <laughs> yeah. Well, and that that is the trick. So it, it it now how did you come across this yourself? You were fourteen or fifteen. Right. How yeah. long did it take you? I mean, it must have been years. Right. Yeah. It yeah. It, it has. That, in the first time I experienced it, I had never heard of anything quite like this before. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was interested in dreams when I was 14, mm-hmm. and in fact, I was already recording my dreams. Mm-hmm. But it was my experience was pretty much the the basic. I woke up. I felt I was being held down by some entity. It felt like a, an evil, malevolent mm-hmm. force. It was something outside of me. I mean, I could actually right. feel this presence that was something that was not me, mm-hmm. uh, and I was scared out of my wits. Right. And so uh, this is a little embarrassing, but this is how I did it at age 14 is I thought about this, this girl I had a crush on mm-hmm. and how my sort of love for her, you know, could love maybe... Love conquers all. Oh, it's terrible. <laughs> it's terrible. But it was effective. Yeah, Because good. it brought the fear down yeah. and the sense, it went away. The, right. the, the, the demonic presence went away um, and I woke up out of it. Yeah. Uh, that was, and I didn't really realize until I think six years later that this was sleep paralysis. Uh-huh. Well, you have this lovely phrase in your book: "Lean into love to find courage." I just love that. Be, the, that sense of having something to sort of lean into or lean on, and then you can, you know, you you can access the courage. So, is that that sort of where that came from for you? Right, yeah, it came yeah. from my crush on that fourteen-year-old yeah. girl. You know. I, <laughs> Hey, you take what you can. You know. get you. You work with where what you got, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. not bad. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, really. Seriously, at fourteen, to have any resources at all, especially when you don't have a strong spiritual orientation, like an internal spiritual guide, uh, anything is great. I, I think I got off pretty easy on my first paralysis yeah. experience. Some people have the full blown hypnagogic hallucinations uh-huh. the first time, so they have the paralysis. Then they feel the oppression on the chest, and then they physically, they see and feel an entity mm-hmm. often sitting on their chest. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's really creepy sometimes. Yeah. Sometimes yeah. it's like a ghoul or, or a, a goblin-like yeah. creature might kind of lean its face into yours and breathe its stank mm-hmm. breath on you, mm-hmm. and you can smell this breath, and it's Ew. putrid, yeah. and it's it's deadly. They And then they might, you know, touch you. Uh, and they yeah. might even try to have sexual intercourse mm-hmm. with you. And in some cases, um, people tell me they succeed. Ooh. And so for women, you know, it's often yeah. a, um, the fear is I'm going to be violated. Right. That is the primary fear. Right. And for men, 
the fear is a little different. It's mm-hmm. similar to that, but it's it's more about I am not in control of my boundaries. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not quite the violation, mm-hmm. but it's 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 just as intense. Mm-hmm. So being sort of taken over by something, taken over, yeah. right? And then you get yeah. sort of this mythology of the succubus, right, and the incubus, which right. is this, you know all these old medieval terms sure. of the of the demons and those that famous uh, paintings, the. Um, Oh, Henry Fusilli. Yes, yes, exactly. Right. He yeah. actually was an experiencer of sleep paralysis. Hmm. Yeah, yeah. And, and in his, in his, and I think it's called the nightmare. The painting yes, they, that yes, you're that's speaking right. Of. Yes. You see a woman uh, lying prone on the bed. Yeah. Uh, and she's in this elegant white gown. And then there is mm. this little troll-like creature sitting on her chest with beady little eyes. Yeah. That, that's the experience in, yeah. in a nutshell. So uh, in working with nightmares, I mean, the thing that that I encourage people to do is to uh, interact in some way with the object of fear, right? If there's somebody chasing you, you turn around and face it eventually, you know, maybe after several tries. So it, it sounds like that basic concept ports over to this idea of dealing with the stranger in sleep paralysis. But how is it how is it similar and how is it different I think a lot of nightmare techniques are effective with mm-hmm. sleep paralysis, especially lucid nightmare techniques. Uh-huh. And you know, when you're when you're self-aware in the dream, you have more choices, and yeah. so you can you can control for your own fear. You can try to ground yourself as well as maybe do sort of cur- more courageous things, right. like facing that you know right. uh, that creature or that entity and. And, you know, and we often fail at this. And it's yeah. not that, you know, don't worry, there'll be another opportunity. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no problem. Yeah, that's it, right. For better or for worse, it yeah. will come back. There's it's always still, tomorrow night. It's dealt with. <laughs> yeah. and, and that seems to be, you know, one of these things that, yeah. that's true. So I often encourage people to try to to, to speak, to speak, to uh, speak, with her mind, uh-huh. speak with her mind to the creature uh-huh. because you can't talk. Yeah. You can't speak. Yeah. Speak with your mind and tell them what you want uh-huh. or, you know, speak, speak your boundaries. Uh-huh. Uh, and if you can do that with compassion, often the creatures will transform. Huh. And I've seen this happen in my own experiences mm-hmm. and I've heard other accounts as well. And it's sort of just like to, can you, can you behold the despised in front of you? Uh-huh. And can you show compassion for them and yourself? Uh, there's somebody on the phone. Let's see if this is an actual caller. Hi, you're on the air. This is Kaus. Hi, hello. Oh, I'm on the air. <laughs> <laughs> Hi, my name's Tommy. If you uh, have a question for our speaker, that's great. Otherwise, I'm going to let you go to voicemail. Oh, I wanted to ask for Philip Timon. He's not here. Uh, let me get, uh, hang on just a second. <laughs> oh, well, sometimes the strangers do transform. You never know who's going to show up. <laughs> you never know who's going to show up. <laughs> but you ask for what you want. That's right. That's right. But if you do have questions about sleep paralysis this morning, uh, Ryan Hurd is with me in the studio here on Dream Talk Radio, and you can reach us at 707-874-1073. So back to what we were talking about, which is uh, communicating mentally, because during sleep paralysis, you cannot talk. So this, and this kind of reminds me of the, 
I've been I've woken myself up many times trying to talk and I'll just actually force the words out finally and it'll be like a little whisper and in the dream I'm feeling like I need to shout. Is that kind of the same sensation? I mean, that's I don't really associate that with sleep paralysis, but I think a lot of people have that like they're trying to talk to something. It's similar actually. Similar. I, I think sometimes we can actually feel sleep paralysis when we're in a full-on REM dream. Mm-hmm. You ever feel that feeling, or you're trying to run, and it feels like you're running through yes. jello oh, or something? Yeah. That may be related to mm-hmm. sleep paralysis, which is normal. Part right. of REM sleep paralysis is right. always happening. Right. Um, it's you know supposedly evolutionarily designed to keep us from acting out our dreams. Right. Right. So we don't, you know, uh, slay the tiger in our in in our sleep and actually slay our bed partner. (laughs) And, you know, it's it's funny, but Mm. it's also disturbing because some people, they don't have this ability. It's in they have a REM sleep disorder Mm -hmm. in which they act out their dreams physically. And um, there's actually been several recorded murders that have happened in this way. And it's often sad. There is a case, I think it was in Norway. um, last fall Mm -hmm. in which uh, a man apparently suffocated his wife uh, his wife of 25 years uh, because you know he was dreaming about an intruder in the house Uh and he he actually his lawyer defended him Uh using this defense of 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 REM behavior disorder and he um, was was let off on I think involuntary or however uh, they they do it in Norway but he wasn't charged with murder right so uh, this this is a you know that's just how you know it's all this continuum the paralysis yeah. is yeah. for REM sleep in right. general. But it's kind of it's spotty. It's not quite perfect. Mm-hmm. It sometimes mm-hmm. it comes and it goes, and I think that's how sleep paralysis basically yeah. happens. Yeah. So you can talk in your mind. You can if you can sort of rise above and realize I'm sleeping. I'm in sleep paralysis. I'm experiencing fear. Take a few grounding breaths hook into whatever anchor you've got in terms of, you know, trust in the universe, basically. And and, and then, depending on your level of courage and yeah. maybe the, the shape and expression of the entity that right. you're uh, face-to-face with, you can make choices. I want to get out of here. Mm-hmm. And there are ways of waking up out of sleep paralysis. Mm-hmm. Um, some of them are... Um, little things like trying to move your pinky finger uh-huh. any extremity it'll work with your toes uh-huh. too and if you just try to do that and really put your intention into it mm-hmm. it'll break the paralysis you can wake right up out of the dream oh, if you just get one little toe going can, a little bit yeah yeah and it, it's it's very effective uh-huh. um, however you might decide I want to take this on mm-hmm. and um, so to, to face with courage what's what's yeah. you know what's going on now I mean if it's if it's some sort of you know terrible rape fantasy, mm. maybe maybe it's best to get out, to get out yeah. right? Yeah. Um, because there's a lot more psychological things going on, right. powerful psychological dynamics. Right. But if that's not a you know an issue for you, mm-hmm. I think that it can be very interesting to to try to interact with this mm-hmm. entity. Maybe ask it, how can I help you? Mm. What what do you need? Uh-huh. Um, and and really try to open up in that way. Um, I've heard of stories where, where basically the creature will lean down and whisper something into mm. the dreamer's ear, and that'll turn out to have synchronicities later in life. Oh, interesting! Um, that that actually imparted some real time information hmm. about something that's happening uh-huh. in the dreamer's life. Uh-huh. Or it could be something related to where you're staying. 
Hmm. You know, and this is the connection with haunted houses and right. sleep paralysis. You read a lot of um, ghost stories, and a lot of them happen in, um, you know, dreams, dreams sort of situations or yeah. you know i was laying in bed and then i felt the bed rock back mm-hmm. and forth mm-hmm. you know this could easily have been a sleep paralysis mm-hmm. experience mm-hmm. not to say that it wasn't real but right. that's the state of mind that it right. happened in right because people have mutual sleep paralysis mm-hmm. experiences so several people in oh. the same house will experience an entity on the same night and that's really? been recorded that's so interesting so that's that is that that whole whatever it is electromagnetic i mean there are fields energy fields so so then you're open up to what are the environmental conditions that right. possibly could be causing this right and you know maybe it is electromagnetism maybe it has some maybe it's geomagnetism yeah maybe it has something to do with um there's a stream of water under the house that was capped over and um, uh-huh. it's causing, you know, sort right. of these sleep disturbances. These are sort right. of known things that affect mm. our, you know, biochemistry. Geomancy would be the... And, and you mentioned in here that it's really interesting idea about the, the Pacific Rim, the ring of fire, the sort of geomagnetic, like there's a lot of different dreaming cultures around the Pacific Rim, Southeast Asia into Asia and up and all the way around. And that... It, well, tell me, I, I'm not remembering exactly what you said about it, but I, I thought that's an interesting way yeah, to look at well, it. Well, uh, sleep paralysis expert uh, Jorge Canisa Sevilla, mm-hmm. he's written a book about, about this uh, called Wrestling with Ghosts. And he has a hypothesis that geomagnetic influences mm-hmm. can bring on sleep paralysis. Mm-hmm. And he, he's using as evidence all the cultures around the Pacific Rim that have just this amazing vocabulary for visions, dreams, lucid dreams, out-of-body experiences, sleep paralysis, ghost oppression. I mean, it's all, so many dreaming cultures happen in the Pacific Rim. Mm-hmm. And that includes where we are right now, you right. know, in Northern California. Uh, maybe it's no coincidence that all the dream workers um, of the United States <laughs> gather here. Yeah. Maybe it's no coincidence that L.A. Uh, is the dream machine. Right. That's right. <laughs> Actually, that's true. Huh? You know, we never really know how it's going to express itself. Yeah. Uh, but in any case, um, it seems to be his his hypothesis, and this is based on some other researchers' work, mm-hmm. is that fluctuations in geomagnetic um, you know, behavior are causing these behavior yeah. changes. And, and these fluctuations happen because of the volcanic activity mm-hmm. in this area. Mm-hmm. Uh, which uh, reminds me of the um, when uh, the International Association for the Study of Dreams conference coming up in Asheville, uh, North Carolina, uh, Bob Vandecastle was talking about doing this dream healer uh, ceremony beforehand, or dream helper, dream helper. And one of the things he said is he's going to have uh, one of those machines that registers that type of energy just to see if having dreamers converging and with a shared intention would affect or or is effective you know somehow there's a there's a, a phenomenon that the energy that baseline energy is different under those conditions. No, oh, that's excellent. That's the first time I've heard that. Yeah, no, I've, that'll I, be fun. Yeah, well, I don't know if it's actually happening, but it reminded me that he, that was, seemed for him that was an important th- piece to have. Mm-hmm. It's just some measurement of the the whatever you call that energy. I don't really know. And, and there's just simply 
almost no research on the topic. Exactly. I mean, talk about a marginalized field. Try yeah. to try to get re- you know research funding for this topic. Um. <laughs> well, and that's kind of the problem with dream research right now is because if you follow the money, you're not going to get to the interesting places, right? No, the only money is is how to stop dreams, oh. right? <laughs> Pills that will uh, prevent hey, me from hey. having nightmares or yeah. uh, that God. kind of thing. Sad, sad, sad. Well, so somehow we have to to sort of change our little paradigm about looking about dreams, looking at dreams. So let's talk about the part three of your book, Thriving with Sleep Paralysis. You've got some really interesting ideas about um, you actually, I mean, at some point you actually talk about trying to trigger sleep paralysis because it puts you into this liminal state where you can talk with these entities. I mean, maybe you can sort of explain. There's a lot of people who are interested in increasing their ability to have sleep paralysis because they're interested in lucid dreams. Uh They're interested in out-of-body experiences. Uh, And they're interested in just the whole hypnagogic state in general because it can be such a creative, uh, really amazing place uh, in which you can actually hear music. And, Mm -hmm. and, uh, you know, and apparently Beethoven would experience this this hypnagogic hmm. state and like listen to entire orchestras wow. and, and sort of cre- create them in this you know in in the vision you know the vision yeah. uh, which is the hearing vision yeah. was very real just as real to our brain as the actual sound waves that we hear mm. mm-hmm. and so this is all accessed in hypnagogia and so so these brave dreamers they call themselves anironauts you know, uh-huh. this is coming out of sort of the Stephen LeBurge um, right. tradition. Right. Are 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 very much into this, and um, and so I provided this last chapter as a well. Uh-huh. Hey, if you're going to learn it, learn it from me because uh-huh. <laughs> because a lot of people go into this not uh-huh. realizing that it, there's some pretty heavy psychodynamics that yes. happens with the stranger and with fear and all these sort of grounding kind of issues. Right. And so I try to present the material holistically. Mm-hmm. Like, okay, if you can master this, if you can. Mm-hmm. If you can hold it, then by all means, you know, explore it and, yeah. and let's find out more about this fascinating right. state. But always good to support the psyche first. If the psyche is in any way fragile, probably best to just stick with grounding and getting out of it. Yeah, well, you yeah. know, and I think if, if you heard the term spiritual emergency. Well, sure. David Lukoff, in fact, was on the show last fall. Oh, excellent. Yeah, yeah. Excellent. So, I mean, yeah, this is, uh, you know, the, mm-hmm. the Psychological Association for the, the United yeah. States actually calls a religious problem an actual psychological event these Mm -hmm. days. Mm -hmm. Oh, let's see if this is an actual person wanting to talk about dreams on the phone. Hi, this is Cows. You're on the air. Uh, Hi, uh, this is Tommy. I got disconnected before. I wanted to talk to someone about volunteering. uh, Uh, Yeah, let me call you back in just a second. Oh, so sad. Well, sometimes a stranger is somebody you really want to talk to on the air, and sometimes it's not. (laughs) You got to love live radio. Here we are on Cows. This is Dream Talk Radio. I'm your host, Ann Hill, every Thursday from 9 to 10. With me in the studio is Ryan Hurd, who has written a great book on sleep paralysis, Sleep Paralysis, A Dreamer's Guide. And you can uh, find it, you can order it, download it at dreamstudies.org. So on we go, <laughs> back into the realm of, of lucid dreaming. And, uh, you know, it's just, I, I had Robert Wagner on the show uh, last month. 
fascinating conversation. That, I mean, his book is just sort of rocking my world as far as what is possible and what different ways to think about the dream state. I love Wagner's work. He's, oh, he's, he's really, I, I, I think, given a, a new generation of lucid dreamers hope. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Stephen LeBurge's work in the 80s is excellent. Yeah. Um, but it's often tied to a sort of scientific model because uh-huh. uh, Stephen LeBurge didn't really want to speak outside of a scientific perspective mm-hmm. it left i think a lot of people wanting more mm-hmm. and i think um robert wagner really kind of picks picks up where, where Stephen yeah. left off with that yes he does and and so so tell me how your use you the sleep paralysis piece fits into all of this so so sleep paralysis can really be seen as a gateway to lucid dreams mm-hmm. as well as a gateway to out-of-body experiences and basically, it's simply a matter of inducing the sleep paralysis, say, by rather than avoiding sleeping on mm-hmm. your back, try to sleep on your back. Mm-hmm. Rather than avoiding an, uh, a disruptive sleep pattern, use it. Right. For instance, jet lag. Right. Uh, you know, a couple of months ago, I took a flight uh, across the country to the East Coast, and then I flew back, and I was... I was jet lagged mm-hmm. and exhausted. I think I was even hungover. I had pretty much all the classic things yeah. that you need <laughs> for REM rebound. Right. And so I, I, I took the car down to, uh, to Ocean Beach in San Francisco mm-hmm. and I laid, and I put the seat back in the car and I took a nap with a deliberate intention oh, wow. to uh-huh. go through sleep paralysis and it worked. Huh. I mean, it happened just like a charm wow. and I went straight into it. And it, I remember uh, waving my hand in front of my face when I was in the vision mm-hmm. state. And I, at first I saw this sort of ephemeral little wispy light. And then I saw my hand and I realized this is not my real hand. My real hand is tucked behind my head right now because I'm in sleep paralysis. This is a dream. And then from there, I tried to get out of my body. Uh-huh. And, and I tried to go up through the top of my head and that didn't work. Mm-hmm. And then I tried to do a, a kind of like a sit up. Mm-hmm. Because um, often if you give attention to your navel, hmm. uh, it's easy to kind of have that happen. Yeah. That didn't work either. So I said, well, okay, let's go where, you know, obviously I'm resisting something. Mm-hmm. And so I went the opposite direction. I kicked out from, from the other way. <laughs> <laughs> and, and it, and it, it's you know, the backstroke. It was, it was, it was great. And I kicked out of, you know, my body. And, and, and like I say, I don't know if this is an actual, yeah. am I out of body or not? But the sensation is I, some part of me left this bodily sense. And all mm. the feelings of paralysis and everything were gone as if I had exited a bubble. Huh. And I felt myself calmly drifting down a river, like, which I could not see. Mm-hmm. Kind of just, just drifting down. And it was quiet and mm. spacious and just so healing it Mm. was this wonderful healing dark space and i stayed in it for uh probably 30 seconds Mm -hmm. or a minute perhaps and i said okay let me let me test my you know can i get out of this Mm -hmm. and i tried the pinky wiggle method (laughs) and i focused on okay if i had a body where would my pinky be (laughs) and i found it and Mm -hmm. i and i woke right up out of it oh wow so that's just an example of how you know you can you can basically do this on purpose right right the point of which would be that it's an it's an entryway into doing going all sorts of different places and experiencing all sorts of different things. One of the things I like about uh, Robert Wagner's book is that he really, um, very deftly, I thought, kind of goes beyond all of the take charge of your dreams 
mythology that we we can't you know this is america right so you're supposed to have control of something right so if it's lucid dreaming then you're supposed to have control of your dreaming state you know he just sort of just like cuts that to the cutting room floor instantly and then you're left with this wonderment of wow this is a this is a state like we were talking about in the beginning of the show where I can project things or I can call in things but there's an intelligence greater than me that's that's really that's the space that I'm in. Wonderful. It's not my ego space at all. Right. So. Right. You can actually use your control or your volition to yeah. let go of control. Right. Which is right. a pretty powerful thing to do. Yeah. No wonder they don't want to study this stuff. <laughs> <laughs> and people can use use um this state for creative purposes yeah. um we you know Deidre barrett um mm-hmm. the, the harvard professor right. has written a book about about this i can't remember the title mm. right now in any case her book is about all these different scientific uh you know inventions and and ways of knowing that came out of the hypnagogic state hmm. and through dreaming and, and artists as well salvador dali mm-hmm. was known to really use his hypnagogic state mm-hmm. uh, thomas edison i mean the, the list really goes right. on and on and so you know sleep paralysis is a portal into the state yeah. so if you say okay oh, hey i didn't get very much sleep last night and i'm gonna go take a nap on the couch mm-hmm. and see if i can incubate a solution to my problem I'm mm-hmm. having with X, Y, or Z. Right. And I mean, it could be a scientific, a mathematical problem. It could be a, re- a relational problem. Mm-hmm. I mean, mm-hmm. it's, this is dream incubation. Right. right. So, it, so sleep paralysis can be a portal to all those kinds of, you know, um, problem solving, creative problem solving that dreaming is mm-hmm. known for and has been known for, mm-hmm. for millennia. Right. And even if you don't have sleep paralysis, there's ways to to like you say, just like sleep deprivation and various things that make it more likely that you'll be able to slip into that hypnagogic space during a nap, say something like that. Right. Right. So we've got a few more minutes left. Uh, We're talking with Ryan Hurd about sleep paralysis this morning on Dream Talk Radio. I'm wondering if there's uh, I mean, you wrote this book pretty recently, right? Just this year you put this out right actually it uh, the ebook came out two months ago two months ago and so you you work with people individually with sleep paralysis mostly just through email uh-huh. so I've been corresponding individually yeah. with with quite a few people oh, and great. kind of helping them and tracking their progress yeah yeah so how how would, would people get in touch with you if they uh, if they want to explore their sleep paralysis more well you know my website is dreamstudies.org mm-hmm. and you can easily contact me by going to my about page mm-hmm. and and just filling out the, the contact the form contact there. Form. Great. So uh, any parting thoughts? I mean, I guess what my curiosity, this is something that I always ask people when they're on the show is, where is where is your sort of leading edge right now in terms of your own exploration, your own, own dreaming experience? What, is the, what are the operative questions that are front and center for you? Right now, I'm really interested in this this connection with sleep paralysis mm-hmm. and landscape oh. and ecology oh. and in a way sort of the paranormal um, questions of you know what is the relationship of, of these uh, entities to possible myths that are living in the landscape uh-huh. that come through these uncanny visions mm-hmm. uh, I mean there's just so many accounts of information that's that's given 
that the dreamer did not know. Mm -hmm. Um, And then later learns from a neighbor, oh, yeah, you know, old man Jenkins lived there and he used to have a three-eyed cat and that sort of of thing. And these aren't made-up stories. They just, you know, I really take a lot of these these accounts at face value. Mm -hmm. And so... The question is, is, is really, you know, so sleep paralysis is a place where, where the veil is thin between yeah. worlds, and you know how to go about exploring that in a way that um, is helpful and also respectful of the mm-hmm. state and of the landscape, and maybe mm-hmm. to do, you know, some sort of healing there. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Right. Sort of. Uh, oh, that's interesting. It's kind of like. Uh, storm chasers, but in a different kind of a way. <laughs> the inner storm. <laughs> the inner storm. Right. Well, you know, I mean, places and even towns and regions, yeah. they, all, we, they all have mythologies. Yes. And they can be acted out unconsciously on the individual level. And so maybe this could be a way to help bring a myth to consciousness. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and then archaeologically, maybe there's a way to to kind of pick up on the ways, you know, that this particular, say, sacred site was used mm-hmm. um, simply because of the relationship of topography and mm-hmm. whatever sort of geomagnetic stuff is going mm-hmm. on. If it affected the consciousness of people a long time ago in a particular way, and then we, who are you know identical biologically mm-hmm. to these people, have similar experiences, it might give us some insight mm-hmm. into the cognitive landscape of prehistoric people. Mm-hmm. That's fascinating. Well, what it, it kind of reminds me, I mean, I, I've never experienced that, but there is this thing of, you know, you dream about a specific spot over and over and over. Or even once, I, I, there's a, a, a spot on um, Occidental Road, actually, going in from here into Sebastopol that I had this very intense dream about, what, 14 years ago? And um, every time I drive down the road and I sort of feel that liminal space coming on and it just always I drive past that spot and I'm remembering the dream and looking for the old barn that isn't there. But it was so, you know, I think there's this way and maybe that's a kind of a generative thing. You know, if there's no particular mythology about that place, maybe just by dreaming it, we kind of plant the seeds for that sort of thing. Right. Yeah. I mean, that that's great. Cognitive uh, landscaping right there. <laughs> landscaping. <laughs> yeah. Cognitive landscape architecture. There's no degree in that. No, yet. not yet. <laughs> <laughs> not yet. There could be, though. Uh, you know, uh, although you could also maybe find some local history of, yeah. of that spot of the road and you mm-hmm. might find something that is interesting. Yeah, it could that be. That might relate to your dream. You, could be. Maybe oh, you're well, picking up on something. Well, and also the, the whole idea of the mythology, uh, the place-based mythology. I mean, for instance, you know, the, the Native American myths around coyote and raven. I mean, does, I wonder how that is sort of, that's sort of encoded in the in the land. You know, they always talk about the spirits of the land. Well, we're talking about spirits here. Very much so. I mean, the spirits of coyote and raven are mm-hmm. still here. Oh, yeah. I saw a raven earlier today. Uh, and they're still trying to speak to us. Yeah. So... Yeah. I think you're on to something. <laughs> well, not just me. A lot of people. Yeah, no, very yeah. much so. Um, you know, and it's interesting, uh, Paul Devereaux, he's mm-hmm. an archaeologist um, from the UK, and he's done a lot of work with uh, kind of really looking at face value of some of these haunting stories uh, mm-hmm. around the megalithic, you know, monuments and the old uh, burials and barrows, um, you know, from from the Bronze and the Stone Age mm-hmm. in, in Britain. And he's noticed that the, that the more that that an individual is just 
aware of prehistory, yeah. the more able they are to pick up on on such things. Uh-huh. You know, and right. he, he's written a lot about um about road hauntings. You know, these accounts mm. where people are driving down a road and then they see, you know, um, a young girl mm-hmm. on the side of the road. And then they look in the rearview mirror, and then she's gone. Right there, yeah. And then they don't think about it for ten years, and then they find out that ten other people in the same town has seen the same thing hmm. at the same spot in the road. Yeah. And so these are the kind of tales that you know, kind of may be related to yeah. you know, sort of the same veil between worlds. This is not sleep paralysis mm-hmm. we're talking about, but we're talking about some sort of dreamlike you know state and right. you know scientists are trying to say well what that's that's road hypnosis you know and that's mm. that's also related to REM intrusion and it's simply you know the brain's random firing of da 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 and so we have some material correlates yeah. but you know if you take a more holistic perspective you have you have the material correlates mm-hmm. and then you have the actual content which is meaningful right. and does have patterns right that's right. And good to start small. Like, for instance, with the girl on the road, I have a friend who decided she was going to do some healing up in Gettysburg. I think she kind of bit off a little bit more than she could chew. You don't want to go starting with Civil War battlefields. Oh, my gosh. No way. No. No way. No, I have friends who are sensitive to that sort of yeah. stuff, too. And um, I have a friend who actually um, was at, um, I think, Anderson. Uh, it was a, pr- a prison in South Georgia. Oh, and she was in a parking lot and she started having a panic attack. Yeah. Uh, and she later found out that actually that's part of the graveyard that has been just literally asphalted over. That's mm. not, you know, and she had no idea of that history, but she was standing on the graves. Yeah, yeah. Um, so the, these sort of things... No. Yeah. <laughs> you want yeah. to start small, start with your own home. <laughs> start with your own home. <laughs> or the barn down the road, perhaps. Something like that. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's been a pleasure talking with you this morning, Ryan. Thanks so much for driving up to the studio and, and talking about sleep paralysis oh, today. Thanks for having me. This has been a blast. <laughs> oh, great. Yeah, fun for me, too. Uh, you can learn more about Ryan's work and, and uh, pay him for a copy of his excellent ebook. Sleep Paralysis, A Dreamer's Guide, if you go to dreamstudies.org. Uh, you have been listening to Dream Talk Radio here on COWS, K-O-W-S, L-P, Occidental. I'm Ann Hill. I'm your host every week for Dream Talk Radio. That ends this week's Dream Talk Radio Show podcast. Thanks for listening. And remember to tune in every Thursday from 9 to 10 a.m. at www.kows.fm. This is Ann Hill, and I'll see you again next week.